And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Leaf Report is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Ticket prices drop right before the game starts, and because GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers... They're able to give you the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. This is not a a plug for the Leafs schedule, but the Raptors schedule. December 11th, Kawhi Leonard is coming back to Toronto. That's going to be just an insane night, electric atmosphere. Look for tickets for that game. Or if you're you're feeling Leafs, I think December 23rd, uh, Jake Gardner is going to be coming back to Toronto. His first game back after, I guess, almost a decade in Toronto. There's not just sports tickets, there's music tickets, theater tickets, lots of potential gift tickets for the holidays. It's an easy two-tap checkout. The GameTime app is simple, it's quick, it's easy to navigate. So download the GameTime app in the Google Play or App Store and score last-minute deals on tickets up to 60% off. Good day, James. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Superb. Great. Excited. I sense your excitement. Yeah, I'm good to go. Let's do it. What do you got? All right. What do you think? What are you thinking off the top? Leafs in turmoil yet again. All right. Well, part part two or part three? What are we at here? Yes, we're definitely going to talk about what's going on with the team. We should do it. They call it a teaser, I think, in radio. We're going to have Sean McIndo. Down goes Brown coming up pretty soon. That's exciting. I, I we just, haven't had many guests. I, no. What? I was, I always just call him DGB. I don't think he likes it though. That's a good nickname. DGB. Um, so, so he's going to be coming up. But so let's let's talk first uh, a little bit about what's going on with the team. Um, obviously, Sheldon Keith comes in. They win a few games. Then things kind of go sideways a bit, and now it kind of feels a little bit more like it did. Uh, in the last days of Babcock, not quite that tense, but obviously you look at where they're at and you look at the playoffs and you look at their pace, you start to kind of think like they're running out of time to really turn this around. And yet there's still so many games. How do you kind of jive those two things together? They just can't afford much of a slide here, right? Like they can't, yeah. They can't go on like a six-game losing streak the way they were under Babcock. It's you look at the record that they need, and it's it's possible. Like it, like I said to you last night, I think it's like fifty-fifty that they get in at this point, unless they start looking better, unless they start playing better for a sustained stretch. It's it's hard for me to be 
more optimistic than 50-50 at this point. And I think I think it's like, I, I know I, I looked at Dom's model and he had the Leafs at something like 70% chance to make the playoffs, but that only makes sense to me if, if they start playing well. And what we've seen the last, I mean, I know they pummeled Detroit, but Detroit's terrible. Like Detroit's almost the equivalent of an AHL team this season. And they're kind of in the position the Leafs were in 2016 when they, they got Austin Matthews and they tanked and they were the worst team in the league. I think you throw that game out. If you throw that game out and you look at the results under Sheldon Keefe, they're not really that much better than than what Mike Babcock produced. I think they've been better um, on special teams, and mm-hmm. Frederick Anderson has has been really good. Other than that, I'm I'm not I'm not really seeing it. Well, I, I mean, if you look at the games that they played under Keefe, the I would say there's been one like pretty solid game, and that was the Arizona game. That was the first game. The other mm-hmm. games have kind of been like. I mean, the Colorado game, they go up early. They they barely hang on. The Buffalo games weren't great. But, I mean, like, it is a new coach. He is doing a lot of different things. Maybe it takes him getting used to. When you say 50-50, and I think you're, you're, you're probably on point, like it's somewhere around there. Like, they need – they're at 30 points in 30 games right now. 100 seems like a dream. Like, it doesn't seem like that's going to happen. It's remarkable. Like we were texting last night after the game. It's remarkable that a team with as much talent as they have might not get to 90 some odd points like that. That's a failing on a lot of different levels. Like as much as and I think you and I did a pretty good job of pointing this out at the time. I mean, you wrote about it a few weeks beforehand. This was not all on Mike Babcock. Um, this is a lot deeper than, than just Mike Babcock. And I think we're, we're kind of seeing that. And yet I don't want to read too much into it because I mean, Sheldon Keefe just took over. Do do you know what I'm trying to say? Like, it it feels like we're still kind of calibrating what the team is going to be under him. The other thing I'd say is like, look around at the playoffs, look around at their division. It's not like there's anybody besides Boston that's really running away with it. Like Montreal, you know, Buffalo, Florida, Tampa's right there. I mean... I don't know. It, it still feels like they're no, it, in it, decent shape to, to beat some of those teams. Looking at it, it might only take like 93 points to make the playoffs. But do you want to bet on a might? Like, and what happens is that usually sure. like a team or two really on the bubble picks up the pace and it gets the number gets higher and higher as you get towards the end of the season. And it could take 95, 96, 97 points to make the playoffs. And like, look, Montreal had 96 last year, I believe, and they missed. So, yeah. And for the Leafs to get to 95, 96 points, they got to be really good. You know, they need to have almost twice as many regulation wins as regulation losses. And then you throw in some overtime and shootout losses. Like they need to, they need to be a good team. They need to be one of the best seven or eight teams in the NHL the rest of the way. And to me, they look and sound like a team that's a little bit lost right now. Like they just, I don't know if you had a chance to read the column I put out this morning yet. Um, but I, they don't seem like a very confident team and when they get down or when something goes against them, there's not a lot of resolve on this team. And I think that maybe that's just because that's remnants from how tough their start was the, you know, the first 20 odd games, Mm -hmm. but they got to get this figured out pretty fast. Like they can't, I don't know. I think what like what happened in Philadelphia where you know you know the empty netter goes in and they just give up and then Philly just keeps putting goals past them. It's like you look at their rosters. The Leafs have a better roster than Philadelphia, right? The Leafs yeah. have a better roster than Buffalo. The Leafs have a roster that's probably I don't know if I want to say equivalent to Colorado because Colorado's a good team, but like I don't know. And then you watch the games and they're they're getting outplayed by teams where you're looking on paper at what they have on the roster and you're saying that the Leafs should be able to outplay them. And it's hard to put your finger on why that's happening. It's funny. Like you mentioned that I was uh, trying to get to sleep last night and I couldn't help like just thinking about what's going on. And one of the things that, that kind of stumbled into my mind, and I don't know if you agree with this is, is it really felt like for me, that this kind of reinforced what I kind of felt at the time that firing Mike Babcock when they did was too soon. And, and the reason like I was thinking that is, is granted like things were very tense and like things were not good, but it never got a, a real opportunity to kind of sort itself out. It was like the first time in his tenure, really like scrap that, that 15, 16 season. It was like the first time that there was real 
tightness and turmoil. Like they had never, I think they hadn't lost six in a row. I think they'd lost five in a row, but they hadn't lost six in a row. And it was like the first time they, they lost six in a row and, and there's adversity, they fire him. And it, and it kind of felt like I just started thinking ahead, like we always thought it was going to get to the playoffs and then like they'd see what happens in the playoffs. And it just felt like what we talked about at the time too you're putting Sheldon Keefe in a really tough position where he's coming in like he's never coached in the NHL. And you can see little instances where this is different for him. Like uh, you mentioned the Philly game, and that's what I want to talk about next. I mean, even just talking to the team after that game is is unusual. Um, now, he said he, he wouldn't normally do that, but even that struck me as something that a guy with more experience in the NHL might not do. And, and I thought, you know, the way that they handled that, it kind of made it a bigger story than it probably needed to be. Like, was it great that they gave up a couple goals when the game is over? No. But, like, does it need to become what it became? Probably not. You know what I mean? Like, it's almost, I don't know. And then Frederick Anderson starting again on the, the back-to-back. It just felt like a team that was kind of, like, like you said, lost and kind of searching for answers and a little bit desperate. Yeah, they don't yeah. They they don't have like a protocol for when things aren't going well. This is the way that we get out of it. This is the way that Yes. This is our adversity playbook. Like they don't seem like a team that that's got that right now and I mean, like to be fair to them, like there have been a lot of things that have gone wrong early on this season. Like they have had a lot of injuries. If you look at I, I don't have the stat in front of me for right now, but if you look at you know, salary loss to injuries, they're they're up there. You know, they're... Um, last well, I have I the total games, for... James. It's like... Did I include last night? It's like... It's almost 60 games. Yeah, Actually, but you almost yeah, have no, to look it's at more who's than missing games. the... You have to look at who's missing the games, though, right? Okay. So, like... Well, it's Dermot, you know, 13 Tavares games. and Marner. Yeah, I can give it to you. Dermot, 13 games. Hyman, 19 games. Tavares, 7 games. Marner, 10 games. Kerfoot three, Trevor Moore nine. Like it's not nothing, but this is what we talked about at the time when they fired Babcock. Like there were all these little, he never had like a full lineup. No, but like, that's true. That's true. Like, like Tavares has not been Tavares in part of it's the broken finger. Um, Marner hasn't been Marner because he hasn't been playing. Mm-hmm. Um, but how much, you know, how much rope do you want to give them for like, oh, we didn't have Zach Hyman for the first X number of games of the season, or we didn't have Travis Dermott, or like, yeah, like if you're a good team, you should be able to win missing Zach Hyman and Travis Dermott. Yes. I mean, when you have like Nylander and Matthews and Riley and Barry and Anderson, I mean, look at some of the other teams. Like it, they're not the only team that's going through injuries. I mean, Pittsburgh is still hanging around and like they haven't had Crosby. They haven't had Latang, They didn't have Malkin for a bit. Like that's what that's what you do, and like we talked about, like their depth, they should be good enough to to withstand it. Like just looking at it, it's crazy to look at their their record and like the goal differential. They're minus six on the season. I mean, this was a team that was like top five in the league for the last couple of years in, in goal differential. Um, I don't know. How did you feel about? Let, let's start with some of the decisions that they've made in the last couple of days. How did you feel about them starting Anderson both games back to back? I thought it was fine. I mean, they were they're looking for they're they're looking for something. Like I said, like this is a team looking for guys are trying to step up and they're trying to support each other and they're trying to support the new coach and they're trying to show that they're engaged and Anderson's been their best player the last since the beginning of November. Mm-hmm. You know, he's been like a 930 save percentage. It's like imagine where they would be if Anderson had just been just okay. Like they would have been, they would be, they'd be one of the worst teams in the NHL if if Anderson hadn't really carried them the last. I think it's like thirteen games. Um, I, I was okay with it. The only thing is, is that you just it's not a well you can go back to again and again and again. Like that's not something you can do over and over and over. Like you can do it once, maybe twice, when you feel like you really need it. And it's interesting that the game 30 of the season, that's when they feel like they really need it. Like that's, I it shows where they're at a little bit. But but the thing, Jonas, is that 
you have to put it in the context of everything that's happened this season and how bad their backup goaltending has been. Like, if they have a backup who's okay, this isn't happening. It's just, I don't think that Anderson and the other players trust Hutchinson to go into that either. And that's a real problem. And I think I think what it says more than anything is that they got to get another goalie. Yes. Like, I don't... I don't think this happens if the coach and the other players trust the backup goalie. Well, it just didn't look great optically when two days before Sheldon Keefe said it, we can't ask him to do that. That would be selfish. You have Kyle Dubas. And and granted, like what, what I don't know what Kyle Dubas is supposed to say in that situation. He's asked about Hutchinson. He, what's he going to say? Like, well, we don't really know about Hutchinson. We're doing everything we can to find like a trade. I'm yeah. sure they're trying to find a trade. You got to support your player, right? And and you, the other thing too yeah. is that other teams are watching that, right? So you're not going to say like we're really trying, we're actively trying to, yeah, like that doesn't that that's not going to help you in your your quest to get a backup. Well, I'm of two minds on the whole thing. I, I think one, it's a really tough position for Sheldon Keith to be in to say no. I mean, he's just taken over the team. The number one goalie comes to him and says, "I want to play again." It's hard to say no, and yet like you've had this this kind of plan in place um i also don't know if it's great to to let players kind of dictate that stuff um i don't know if it sets the right tone um it just felt like a little like we said like it just felt a little desperate and and obviously what do you do the next time like what if what if it's january and the team is kind of struggling and anderson says i want to play again and like he's already starting too many games and and you detailed and I think we should talk about that for a second um there the the types of goalies that are out there for them to get uh in a trade there's not a lot like you you put a pretty good list together and I think that there were like two maybe that I was like yeah I could see that and then the rest are just like I don't know how much better they are than Hutchinson they're probably better yeah but not like but they- marginally so all right I got a rant here why didn't they have a better option behind Hutchinson if Hutchinson didn't work out? Like, well, they okay, did. I get it. Like, who? Well, he he couldn't stay healthy at training camp. Like, clearly, they wanted Michael Neuver to be their backup. I'm like, Jesus. I mean, like, did they do any research at all? Like, all you ever heard out of Philly, and, and this was a problem for years, is that guy could not stay healthy. Mm-hmm. Could not stay healthy. He was pulling himself in the middle of games. He was pulling himself out of practices and. Like, Hackstall was there. He knows the Neuwirth story. Why don't you go to your new assistant coach and say, like, they had, I, we talked about this all summer. I was, I kept saying, I feel like I was a broken record. They got to get another option. They got to get another option. At the very least, they got to get another number three goalie. Like, what's the point in having Casimir Kaskasu, who's 26 or 27 years old or whatever, be your AHL starter if you can't, if you can't play in the NHL? And then you've got, like, the thing that Michael Hutchinson is, that he's established himself as a career is a number three. Like that's what, that's why Florida signed him last year because they weren't sure about Luongo's injuries and they weren't sure how many games Reimer could play for them and yada, yada, yada. Um, so they, they signed Hutchinson. They gave him, I think 1.25 million. They gave him a really good contract to play in the minors. He's your number three. And he, you know, he can come in, he can play once in a while and, and be okay. That's what he is like. And then the thing that confuses me, Jonas, is they were talking about how Anderson was going to, there was going to be load management. And even Anderson was saying to you that he's only going to play 55 games. Well, who the hell's playing the other games? What, what was the plan? It's like, it doesn't make any sense. But to play devil's advocate, it's not like if you looked at the goalies that were out there, there wasn't. You got to get somebody. Now, well, th- there wasn't much. You got to get somebody better than Kaskasu that, 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 like, if you get in this situation that you can put in. Like, they, you can't well, just go in with like Hutchinson's the only guy and you're going to play him 27 games and if it doesn't yes. work out I don't know. Okay, like, what I can argue with is is A you could have said, you know, if we're looking at the state of our goalies and you and I both wrote about this at the time like you have to make a trade in the summer. Now, who's out there? Which teams are willing to trade you something that's better? Maybe there wasn't like a team that was willing to trade one of those guys. I don't know. The other part just about get it, like this, a good AHL guy. All I'm saying is like get a guy who like is as good as Hutchinson. Like, but maybe I, they tried I, and maybe they couldn't. And the you other, can't, come on, Jonas. There's like 50 guys as good as Hutchinson. Like, there's yeah. Like, Let me add get one like more Phoenix thing. Copley from like Washington. Like, there were guys on waivers that are as good as Hutchinson. Just claim one of those guys and say goodbye, Kaskasu. This guy we trust more to come play NHL games. Unless they thought Kaskasu could play NHL games, but it doesn't look like they do think that because yeah, they refuse to that. call him up. 
Yeah. Well, the so other what, part like, about why is he on your team? Well, that's a good question. I mean, he's 26. It's not like he's like. I was just thinking about this last night. It's like, what's the point of Kaskasu? Like, he has no point. Like, he's well, not going to get better. Isn't, he's not 50. He has a <laughs> he might as well be. Yeah. He might as well be if you won't play him. Yeah, like, that's fair. Well, the other part about this, James, this is all. Um, is collateral damage the right term of of the contracts to their best players? Like this is, and and obviously in particular, given when it happened, Mitch Marner. Like they 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 didn't have the contract signed obviously until camp. They don't know what the final number is. It's really tight um, after signing him. This is what happens. Like when you have to pay those guys more than you want, you don't have any space. Like imagine if yeah, they, I don't if, think. I don't think they were thinking they were going to bend on Marner to give him as much as they did. I don't think that that was, I don't think that, that was hurts. part of like the playbook. Yeah. So there's, like, I think there's, they, but yeah, I, like I think they thought they would have like another, you know, they had, well, I mean, they did have an offer for 11 million in seven years on the table. So yeah, maybe it wasn't entirely out of the question. Well, they're going to have to do something because he can like, you can't have him playing 60 some odd games i mean you can the the other problem about this is they're going to get into the same situation yeah and this is this is what babcock always used to say and like honestly he he wasn't wrong like now they're going to get into a situation where they need points and they can't really afford to scale his his starts back that much so maybe he ends up starting 65 times 66 times just because they can't afford to play like even if they get one of those backups you talked about they're still going to want to play anderson I mean, it's Dude, just like, like, a, like, like yeah. can you picture like their raid on the cusp in like, let's say like beginning of March trade deadline. They're, they're like raid on the bubble. They're like ninth in the East. How are you going to play? Not Anderson. Like you're going to want to play him. Yeah. He's going to be coming into the coach's room every day and being like, I want to play. I want to play. I want to play. Like, I'm not kidding. They might have to play him 70 games. Yeah. Well, that's what the math was like. 68, 69 starts. Um, the good news is like they don't have a ton of back-to-backs left, so there's that. But I mean, it's not ideal that they're going to have to play them as much as they are. Um, we should talk about the defense and then quickly about the forwards, and then we're going to bring your buddy DGB on. Um, I think it's very notable that they they finally broke up the Morgan Riley Cody CC combination. You were ranting and raving about this in the, the prior days that they had to do it. <laughs> um, it it makes sense. I'm fascinated by what they do if Riley Berry doesn't look like they want it to, because in the first game it didn't look great. It's one game. Um, maybe you just live with but it. They're maybe kind of sheltering try- that pair a little bit, right? Like, yeah, well, they're also sheltering Dermot CC. Um, yeah. I don't know what else. Can only you can shelter do. so many guys. <laughs> right. That's the thing. Can't shelter everybody. Um, you like Cody CC can't play 22 plus minutes in tough match situations. And I don't know why that's another one I don't understand. And this is another thing that we were talking about all off season is like, I don't understand why they thought he could like, I don't think that Kyle Dubas in the front office made that many, I'm going to say big mistakes. I don't think they made that many mistakes in the summer, but, and I, I think I said this to you yesterday at the game or maybe even earlier this week. Um, the f- the few mistakes that they did make all look terrible now. They all look terrible. The backup goalie, Cody CC, um, the cap situation that they're in right now. I mean, I don't think they made that many other really bad mistakes. I mean, I guess you, we can talk about the Kadri Barry Kerfoot trade. You know, Kerfoot's got like what he's got eight points. Yeah, he's you on pace for like twenty six points or something like that. Kadri comes in, he's on pace for more goals than Kerfoot's got points. Like that doesn't look yeah. great right now either. So, you know, three or four of their decisions, important decisions that they made are not working right now. And Cody CC is one of them. Like it's, and I, I totally understand why they made that trade. Like that trade makes sense. It makes sense, but they should have either tried to not qualify, or I think he had already been qualified, but they should have tried to find a way to get rid of Cody CC's contract or just have him as a third pair guy. I thought he looked fine as a third pair guy. I thought he what, looked fine in, with Dermot last night. Do you think what happened is, like we heard Kyle Dubas right after that trade say, like we're going to use him differently than they did in Ottawa, which implied that they wouldn't use him against top lines, use him that many minutes. And then I imagine Mike Babcock said, 
looked at it, the de- the defenseman that he had and said, no, I like, who else am I going to play with Riley? I'm going to, that's what I'm going to do. And then just did it. And then it didn't work. And, yes. And do you think that's what, but the, the then what I don't, I, I totally, that's what happened. But then what I don't get is that Sheldon keep comes in as coach and he keeps doing it. Like, like, did he look at it and say, he changed a whole bunch of stuff. He changed lots and lots of stuff. And the one I was surprised he didn't change that I thought would be near the top of the list was change the D pairs. I mean, he's done it now, but I just, I don't know. And, and Kyle Dubas has made a point. I wasn't there when he talked about this, but like, was Kyle Dubas asked about Cody CC or did he just kind of go on that Cody CC rant uninitiated? I can't remember. I asked him something. I don't know if it was in response to my question, but he did definitely did say that we're not going to use him the same. And I'm paraphrasing. No, no, no. I mean, a couple of weeks, a couple of weeks ago when Kyle Dubas oh, came out and defended Cody, Cody no, CC. No, that was unprompted. Someone, I think, I believe, I was not there for that either. I believe someone asked him about the state of the defense, something like that. And it was unprompted. Like, I don't think anybody asked him about CC. So that was right, we got to get to D. We got to get to DGB. What's the last thing we should just bang out quickly? Uh, I think it's fascinating. You and I, I I'm sure of it. I know I wrote it. Um, when they started playing Marner a bit with Matthews, one of the things we talked about is like, why not get your best players on the ice all at the same time? And DGB is there, so we can ask him. Can you hear us? What's up, guys? I'm here. Hey, yeah. Sean. Sean, you're like our, our second guest ever on the podcast. This is exciting. Who is the first? No, Who do no, I, I have to follow? We, 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 we've had Chris Johnston. We've had Mark Masters in the car driving from Boston oh, to yeah, Toronto so in third. a snowstorm. Yeah. And we've also done some live kind of people as guests. But we have not done... We, Sean, we've had this podcast for um, almost eight years, and we have not had very many guests. So you're, uh, if this goes terribly, then the experiment might end here. Good. No pressure. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so Sean, let's talk like generally we can get into some of the forward combinations and stuff eventually. But how like if you were Kyle Dubas right now, what would your level of concern be with your team that's on pace for 82 points and has all this talent? Because it it just looked like you look at the roster and like, how how is this happening? Yeah, I, I my level of concern would be high. I don't think I would use the word panic. Uh, because I I do think that there are some indicators that that this team might be better than its its record indicates. I mean, obviously, just the the level of talent on paper tells you that the, they should be doing more than they are. Um, some of the other numbers suggest that that maybe they deserve a better fate. There, there's no there's nothing obvious. It's not like you can look and go, oh, they got a 94 PDO. Of course, it's going to turn around. There's nothing like that, but there, you know, there's some there's some signs for optimism if you want it to to look in that direction. But obviously, what concerns me if I'm Kyle Dubas is okay. This is my team. I have got the guys signed. I said I would sign them. I did, but I'm locked in now. I don't have the cap room to make major changes to the roster, even if I wanted to. I've played the coaching card. Played it earlier than I I probably would have liked, or or certainly not at the time of year when I would have liked. But I've now got my coach in place. I I don't really have any other major cards in hmm. my hand that that I'm ready to play right now. Uh, so I I, I just kind of have to sit back and and watch and see what happens. And that that's probably not a fun spot for a GM to be in, uh, where you're you're sort of powerless to to make any major impacts. Uh, and, and you just got to watch and hope that the roster starts playing up to the level that you envisioned heading into the year. You've been a Leafs fan a long time. You've seen, obviously, the 18 wheelers go off the cliff and the collapses and all of these things. But, you know, as someone who's been paying really close attention to Leafs for, you know, the time I've been covering them, 11 or 12 years, this year feels different because there were all of these expectations and there were all, like, they, we have been building to this season for years now with the the rebuild and the getting Austin Matthews and putting all the pieces in place. And like, there are more expectations on this Leafs team, 2019, 20, than there have been since what, like a Pat Quinn era team. Mm -hmm. And for them to like, they're on pace to fall 20 points or more short than where 
most of the hockey world expected them to be. It, it feels like it's like a, a different kind of disappointment than when they were kind of just an okay team that that played badly at the end of seasons and missed the playoffs. Like this is this is entirely different. And the it, fan it base, it's, like you, yeah, go ahead. It's it's absolutely different because you know I can tell you as you know as a Leafs fan growing up in the Harold Ballard era, uh, you know there was. That, that when I came online, it was the 80s and the team was terrible and everybody knew they were terrible. And then that that first Pat Burns season came along and it was a surprise. They weren't expected to be good that year, uh, but they turned it around quickly. And that was really the first time that there were some expectations heading into, I guess, the 93-94 the season where people thought, hey, maybe this team is good. Maybe they can take another run deep in the playoffs. And that season started off great. They started off 10-0. and 0. Uh, It weren't as good the rest of the year, but but the record it showed that they were a good team. They went deep into the playoffs again. Then when that team fell off, it was disappointing. But you know, that was an older team. People expected that, you know, yeah, this, is, this isn't going to last uh, necessarily for the long term. And uh, so I don't feel like there was this sense of shock, like, oh, you know, this this team, we can't believe that they fell off. And then Pat Quinn comes in, and again, there's a surprise turnaround in that first season, and then the expectations go up again. And and the reality is, for five or six years of the Pat Quinn era, the team was really good. They were a Stanley Cup contender pretty much every year, obviously didn't win, uh, of course, didn't even make the finals, but went to the conference final a couple of times, uh, won playoff rounds more, more years than not. Uh, had 100-point teams. This was a really good team. And then the lockout comes and, and Pat Quinn leaves and John Ferguson takes over and expectations go down again. You got another decade of misery and incompetence and then Ferguson and Burke and Nonis and, and all of that. But this is really the first time uh, that I can ever remember, and, and I would say in, in, the, in the modern era, in the cup drought era, that the Leafs have had high expectations that they're falling well short of. Uh, and it's it's sort of new for this fan base. We can do bad teams. We're used to that. We're used to having low expectations and, and having low expectations that sometimes the team struggles to even meet those. We're, we, we can do that in our sleep uh, in this fan base. But having a team that's actually expected to be good and, and should be at a minimum a 100-point team, a playoff team, a team that can at least win a round or two, uh, and see them struggle this much, it it really is something that is probably brand new for almost the entire fan base. And it's going to be fascinating to see how it plays out because, you know, as much as we talk about uh, the Toronto market and, the, you know, all the attention, we haven't really seen this this scenario that it seems like we're headed towards uh, happen before. And it, it's going to be very interesting both inside the market and from the outside looking in to see how it how it all goes down. Well, and the difficult part, Sean, like you mentioned that, is when there's pressure, there's expectations, how does management react? And obviously, we don't we don't have a ton of experience with this, like you said, especially with this management team, even though they've been in place for a while. I, I was thinking as you were talking about what Brendan Shanahan said, he said the hardest thing in Toronto is not making a plan, it's sticking to a plan. And I was just thinking about conversations James and I were having last night about like, what do they do? What will they do if this doesn't get on track? Like if they miss the playoffs and we started talking about like, maybe they'll, they'll trade players. And I was like, no, like that's the last thing you should do is like trade Mitch Marner because you missed the playoffs. But that's what teams do. Like they shit goes wrong and they're like, oh man, we got to do something. And then you start making mistakes that make you worse. Do you know what I mean? Yep. But you got to do something, Jonas. Like, you like Sean. You can't just roll out the same team again. If if I think if, you can, like you have. If they to. finish with like eighty five points, what's the plan to be a hundred point team the next season? If you roll out the same roster, well, like what's you just think the luck will be better or something? Like you you have to you have to change something. Don't make a shitty trade. Team. Well, no, but like if you do that, then you're gonna need new management. Like make a good trade. Like do something that that like if, if this team finishes with eighty five points, there's something fundamentally flawed about it. I think the team that you probably look at if you're making the conservative argument of don't make major changes, don't overreact, uh, is would be that, that Tampa Bay Lightning team of a couple years ago that that never really seemed to click, had all the talent in the world, was considered a cup contender, and 
November and December roll around and they're just kind of on the fringe of the playoff race and then it's January and February and they're still on the fringe and you spend the whole year going, well, they're going to make it. I mean, they're the lightning. They're not going to miss the playoffs. And then they did. Uh, and everybody was was stunned. Uh, and I'm sure everybody in the organization was stunned. Uh, but that team, they didn't blow it up. They didn't, you know, no, every team goes through changes, but they didn't fire the coach. Uh, they didn't fire the GM. They didn't make any any sort of major moves. Now, the flip side is that wasn't an 85-point team. That was like a 95-point team that missed the playoffs by one point. Uh, and it, it's that's a very different scenario than where the Maple Leafs could be headed, where they miss significantly. And, and I mean, we spend all of February and March and April uh, in, in full-fledged panic mode because there isn't even a playoff race to, to worry about. And, you know, I'll... I'll I think part of it is it's it's easier to play the patience card, uh, which sometimes is the right card to play, but it's a lot easier to play it in somewhere like Tampa than in somewhere like Toronto, because it's not just going to be the, the local fan base and the local media uh, that is that is screaming about this. It's going to be everywhere else, too. I mean, this this team is is such an 800 pound gorilla in this league uh, in terms of the amount of attention it gets. And in terms of how many, how much in the way of fans and media in every other market either lap up the attention of this that this team gets, or really resent the attention that this team gets, or in some cases do both of those things. You know, they they read everything about the team and then complain about how much coverage they get. Uh, you're going to see that. You know, it's it's not even like most teams. You can say, well. Geez, things are bad right now. We're getting hammered at home, but we got a road trip coming up, so we'll we'll get away from it a little bit. This team won't get away from it at all. Every time you go out to anywhere, every reporter in every market is going to be writing the story about this Leafs collapse, if that's what it is, if that's what it turns into. And the other piece of this is that it's not like, you know, Kyle Dubas isn't out here trying to reinvent the wheel, but he has done things a little bit differently. And the approach has been a bit different, both in terms of how they manage the cap in terms of the emphasis on skill, in terms of uh, the the types of players that he's that he's brought in, so you know it's one thing to do everything and paint by numbers and do everything the way everyone else has ha- has ever done it and have it not work. And at least you can say, well, I I did things the right way. It's there's something to be said for trying to think ahead of that and trying to get ahead of the trends. But if it doesn't work you're really exposed to to a lot of criticism, some of which will be fair, some of which won't, some of which will uh, come from a, a an honest place and some of which will be done in very bad faith to get attention and get clicks and, and all of this other stuff. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, it's, it's the first week of December. There's a lot of time to turn this around, but if it doesn't turn around, uh, it's, it's going to be a tire fire not just in Toronto, but but everywhere that this team goes. And in some ways, Sean, it's like bigger than the other tire fi- like fires that we've seen before. Like it, this could be the. It feels, I don't know. Like you, you said that the the Leafs shouldn't panic, and there's not there's not reason to do that yet. The fan base is in full panic. Like it, you know, we've we've had the Athletic for three years. I've never seen our comment section look the way that it is. Like, you know, people mm-hmm. are asking us why we're not calling for the GM's head and why we're not saying they should trade this guy and that guy. And it's going way over the top. Way, it's going way, way over the top. And um, Well, James, like to that point, I was going to ask Sean, that's a good uh, good segue. Um, we, we were talking a little bit about Kyle Dubas and the job that he's done. Is there one move that, that strikes you as particularly off base that's, that's kind of resulted in this? Obviously, we can talk about the backup goalie. The Kadri trade is is fresh. Um, is there one that that really you really think you, you kind of has stuck in your craw a little bit more than the others? You know what i I like a lot of what Kyle Dubas has done, and I, I'm I don't want to sit here and look at at a record that's that's not where it should be, and and suddenly uh, decide that in hindsight. I don't like the moves that he's made because I've, I've liked most of them. Uh, you know, clearly the, the Kadri trade so far hasn't worked. It, it looked like maybe Tyson Berry was was finding his groove in the first few games under Sheldon Keefe, and 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 maybe that'll turn out to be the case. Uh, you know, the the 
having to overpay a little bit to get out from Patrick Marlowe, which was not his deal. Uh, that that was one that that I found a little odd. Uh, the the move that's going to define Kyle Dubas as a as a GM, and I hate to say it because I I supported this at the time, and I think there's been just so much criticism of this move that that is not smart and does not hold up to scrutiny. Uh, but fair or unfair, it's it's the William Nylander signing that that happened almost exactly one year ago because that. You know whether whether it's true or not. The that s- appeared to set the precedent that okay, this team is going to pay top dollar for young guys, and that you know once you give once you give William Nylander that amount of money, it's very hard to go to Austin Matthews and say we need you to take a hometown discount. And then when Austin Matthews doesn't take a discount, it's impossible to go to Mitch Marner uh, with that group around him and say okay, now we want you to be the good soldier who who takes less and. I'm not convinced that the Leafs overpaid for any of their young talent, uh, but they certainly didn't underpay. And that's resulted in a, a cap situation where there just isn't the room to maneuver right now. Like, I mean, James, you mentioned the backup goaltender, and that, obviously that's been a lot of focus, and, and it should be because if, if you know, the, the seven games or whatever that they've lost with a backup goalie, give them two wins in those games, and suddenly the record looks a lot different, and we're probably... Uh, we're probably not even having this sky is falling sort of discussion, but fixing backup goaltender should be one of the easiest things that you can fix in the NHL. There's more NHL quality goaltenders than there are jobs out there. It should be relatively easy to go out and find somebody you can plug in for 20 games at, at a relatively cheap price. But with the cap situation where it is, that becomes very difficult because relatively cheap isn't cheap enough. It has to be almost dirt cheap or you have to get really creative. I know like James, you looked at some of the possibilities that are out there and, and ways they could go. Um, but even something like that, that, that should be one of the easiest problems out there to fix becomes very, very difficult just because of the cap situation. And, and when you mix in the fact that they don't probably own their own first round pick this year, depending on the the conditions with, with Carolina. They didn't have it last year. So the prospect pool is now not as strong as you would like it to be if you were dealing uh, from there to try to get better right now. It's, it's, there's this lack of flexibility. And, you know, would it be different if they had got William Nylander to take 6 million instead of 7 million? Probably not. You know, that feels too easy to just point back to that and say, that's where everything started to unravel. Because again, I, I still think those deals will hold up well uh, over over time, and and in the Nylander one especially. But just right now, when you see just everything being so tight and so little room to maneuver, uh, it's it's very hard not to look back at the overall cap management and and say, uh, man, they they've really worked themselves into a situation where it it almost has to work. Because what else do you do if it doesn't? Sean, you missed my rant about the backup goalie off the top of the podcast, so. I'll give you the Coles notes. Like, okay, fine. You think Michael Hutchinson's your guy. And why is there no backup to the backup plan? Like, they went into last season with Calvin Pickard and Curtis McElhinney and Garrett Sparks and Frederick Anderson. And he had four guys. And it's like, this is great. Like, you got four guys that can play goal. Even if you lose one of them to on waivers, you know, you'll, you'll still have, like, a, a good number three guy. Then you can just, like, if someone struggles, you can bring some in the other guy. And didn't work out that way. But the process was right. Like, they had... They had enough NHL caliber guys there. This year, they did the complete opposite. And there's nothing like they don't trust Casimir Kaskasu to come in and play. So, like, what are they doing? Like, I don't, I really don't understand what the what the process was this year. Yeah, that that is a fair point. And maybe, maybe the answer, and it's not a good answer, was was buried in the question, which is last year they did everything right, and it still blew up because of waivers. And and maybe the feeling was, well, we're just. We're just going to lose Hutchinson or whoever else on waivers anyway, so let's pick our two guys and go with that. But yeah, I mean, it, I, I think that's a completely fair point, and everybody has been for years asking the question about Frederick Anderson and how much he plays, and uh, you know, wouldn't it be nice to forget about having a backup that you could trust in back-to-back scenarios? Wouldn't it be nice to have a backup who could play thirty games and and you know let Frederick Anderson play a number of games that starts with a five and. Uh, goes into the playoffs maybe a little bit more rested. I, I think that's that's a fair criticism, and it's it's an indication of how what would have at the time seemed like small decisions can can have a big impact. Because again, I, I think 
it, it, the, the problem here is nobody would have expected Michael Hutchinson to be as bad as he's been. Uh, and, you know, that's goaltending. It's, it's been whatever it is. But, seven but games, wait, that's, but Sean, mm-hmm. it's not like, it's not like you could look at his record before the season and say, man, we can really count on Michael Hutchinson to be nine ten. No, I mean, his track true. record before this year was not good. But, but the reality is if, if he was, everybody ran Garrett Sparks out of town for being right around 900 <laughs> Yeah. And if Michael Hutchinson had just been Garrett Sparks this year, that might be enough to to get you the extra win or two. I, you know, the the it's one thing to say this is going to be a position of weakness. It's another thing to say this is going to be a position of crisis. And yeah, I, I'm it, it, it certain. I mean, what we've seen was within the reasonable range of outcomes. So yes, mm-hmm. they they should have had a a backup plan uh, for the backup, and and they didn't seem to. Um, I'm not sure any. Anytime you screw up like this, anytime there's a, a problem, it always seems obvious in hindsight. I, I think I can at least get my head around where the thinking might have been for how they approached it. But there was a risk factor there, and the risk has come true in almost the most extreme form possible, and they don't really seem to have a, a way to deal with it right now. Just to double down on on your point, like I think that like Kyle Dubas has not been perfect. The front office has not been perfect. They've made mistakes, but they seem kind of like small mistakes that were kind of around the edges, like... I don't know about Cody CC, and I don't know about the backup goalie, and they overpaid some of these young guys a bit, and the cap situation's a bit tight. But all of this seems manageable, and then all of the those like small decisions that we kind of quibbled with, they've all been kind of a disaster, and they've all been a much bigger problem than we could have anticipated. But James, those are all connected. Like the reason that you can't get a, the backup you want is because you you had to pay those young guys a little bit more than you wanted. I mean. Kyle Dubas didn't sign Nikita Zaitsev, but there's collateral damage from having to trade him, from having to trade Patrick Marlowe. Like, it's just like everything kind of works together. And it's kind of been like the perfect storm of things that mm-hmm. could go wrong, have gone wrong. And, and then the other part of this is, you know, again, we keep pointing to the cap situation. That's a, That was a situation created by giving uh, big contracts to four key players and very big contracts to th- three key players in, in Matthews, Tavares, and Marner. And two of those guys have missed somewhat extended time in, in the over the first couple of months, which again is is that's hockey. Guys get hurt and you gotta have you gotta have depth to deal with it. But that is not the worst case scenario, but that's also certainly something that heading into the season you were hoping you'd get something close to to full years out of all three of those guys and uh, so far there's, there's only one of them who's, who's really been there the entire season. So, uh, you know, again, no, nobody's going to shed any tears. Uh, yeah. Injuries happen. Other teams have had worse injuries and, and have weathered them much better than this team has. Uh, but there, there have been, there's, there's a lot of things piling up that aren't going right for this team. And it, uh, it, it, it adds up to, in a sense, uh, a sum that's greater than than its parts in terms of of how bad the situations become. Okay, well, guys, let's let's wrap on a more optimistic note. So, I want both of you, and then I can do it if you want. If you don't take my answers, uh, let's let's come up with one reason you think things will turn around. Sean, you you kind of mentioned that there were some things that you thought indicated that they they should be better. I don't know if you want to use that as your answer, uh, but maybe you go first, and then James as to why you think this can turn around or will turn around. I mean, I think that the goaltending will be better either because it can't be much worse in the backup sense, whether it's Hutchinson sticking around or whether they address it some way. Uh, Frederick Anderson, let's let's not forget, not very good in October, has been very good ever since. If if he continues like that, that this this is in today's NHL goaltending papers over a ton of problems. Uh, I think that. If they stay healthy, and and by they I mean the the, the top of the lineup guys, uh, that's that will help. I just think there's too much talent here. I, I think there's there's certainly too much talent to to fall out of the race the way that that uh, they seem headed. And and look again, it, we're looking at points percentage and and projecting out and going. Ah, they're on pace for 82 points, but. You add another win or two into the mix, and suddenly that that significantly changes things around. And uh, it's so we're we're still dealing with with pretty small margins here. I just think there's too much here. 
too much talent, uh, too much brain power. And I think they will, I still believe this team gets into the playoffs. Now, the fact that we're using that as the bar for success in December shows how bad things have gone because this wasn't a team that was built to get into the playoffs. This is a team that's built to be one of the four or five Stanley Cup favorites, and and they've, they've got miles to go to get back to that stage. But I, I still think they make the playoffs. I don't do optimism well. It's a lifetime of, of being a Leafs fan. Uh, hmm. But just just if I try to remove the, those the, the the fan glasses and 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 the uh, kind of the burden of of growing up uh, in the Ballard years and just look at it rationally, I still feel like uh, there's a path to the playoffs here, and and they've got the talent to get them there. James, it's my turn. It's my turn. Yep. I it, to me, I think that the reason for optimism is. I like what I've seen so far from Sheldon Keefe. I like that a lot of what he's doing makes sense. A lot of what he's trying, playing the stars together more often, getting Koji CC off the the top pair in the tough matchups. Um, the special teams both look better the last seven games that he's been the coach. It, it seems like there are some things that are slowly moving in the right direction. I'm just worried about kind of like the intangible we keep calling it the malaise. There's like something there that is they're lacking in confidence or something that is, is hard to quantify, but they probably just need to get some breaks going their way and to win some games and to get some goals going in. And they need Mitch Marner and John Tavares and Austin Matthews to, and, and Nylander to do spectacular things the way that we've seen over the last two or three years and to carry this team, you know, that's what they're paid to do. Um, but my reason for optimism is that I think that they're it's hard for me to look at the decisions they're making now with the lineup and the roster and and say that I don't agree. I mean, I think that they're doing a lot of things that make sense, but it's just that's never any guarantee that it's it's going to turn your way. I'm with Sean. I think actually you make some good points too, James, uh with Keith and some <laughs> We're of saying the same thing. <laughs> yeah, but but I think the the one thing is you would expect their star players to be better. Like I if I'm guessing, they have to be. Mitch, they yeah, have to well, be. but I would just if I'm putting money on it, I would think Mitch Marner will be a lot better than he's been. That John Tavares, like we've seen signs that he's kind of coming around. Morgan Riley, like you assume at some point he'll get healthier. Maybe playing with a different partner helps him. It just feels like, as Sean said, there's too much talent for them not to be a lot better. But talented teams have have not performed in the past. Um, is there anything else you guys would like to say before we wrap this podcast? This has been fun, Sean. We, we're going to have you back all the time now because you were so good. I'm the world's foremost expert on Maple Leafs misery, so I, <laughs> I feel like I'm, I might be busy the second half. Yeah, we won't be calling you again if they start playing well. So it's, okay, uh, understand. You're going to be, yeah, when, when the alarm bells are going off, we're going to bring you in to kind of, I like how you went all the way back to like the eighties when you were on, you said you were, I think you said you were online. You wouldn't have been when, online in the eighties. When I came online, like in terms of my memories and, and, and that, oh, no, I probably, okay. I wasn't online, online, thank God, because I wouldn't, Twitter in the Harold Ballard years would have been a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you would have had to delete all your previous tweets when we hired you, for sure. For sure. So, um, what, what I was going to say is, let, I, Jonas might not want to do this theoretical exercise because sometimes he doesn't like my my goofy things. But like, if you had to make some kind of a trade or a change to the roster piece that wasn't the backup goalie, is there something that stands out to you that you think that makes sense right now that they should be looking at? Oh, man. Of, of things that are realistic, at this point... I. And and again, I I hate to say it because the guy's been dumped on by segments of the fan base for uh, since he since he got here. I didn't understand the Cody CC thing when it happened. I understood taking it on in order to uh, rid yourself of Nikita Zaitsev, but I didn't understand why they didn't just walk away in the summer and and use an extra four million in cap space on to bring back Jake Gardner or do whatever else. Uh, I, I if there was an opportunity there to move that. Uh, at, at, which is what I was told in the offseason. People are saying, "Oh, wait, maybe they're just going to use him, give him, give him big minutes, and then you can trade him for something." Well, I, I don't, I don't really see that happening. But if if there was that opportunity to free up the cap space, and then you can start getting creative, because I get, I, I trust Kyle Dubas, I trust the 
the smart people in the front office to go out and identify and 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 find the right pieces they just can't get it right now and and that seems to be out of out of anything you could do cap wise the one that would subtract the least uh, uh while getting you the most space the problem is other teams know that too and good luck finding a way to make it happen now well and he's got 4 points in 30 games and he's your seventh mm-hmm. highest paid player <laughs> i was looking at it like you look at the cap hierarchy and he's there aren't a lot of guys making a substantial salary on this team beyond the big ones. And he's one of them, you know, he's, yep. he's towards the top of the list. And-, and, and you look at almost anyone else that, you know, obviously you're, you're, you're not going to trade one of the big guys you would, you would hope because that then gets into, uh, you, you question whether it's, it's a panic move. You go down the list. I mean, you're, you're going to trade a Kapanen or a Janssen if he's, if he's healthy, you could. I mean, there's. I've I've been banging this drum for years. There is such a thing as hockey trades. Like, not every trade has to be about the cap or about moving future for present or vice versa. Like, there there is such a thing as saying like we're weak in this area, we're strong in this one. We'll trade you this player for that player, and and try to make both the teams better. That that seems to be a lost art in the NHL. Maybe it's something like that. But the problem is when things aren't going well. The areas of strength don't really feel like areas of strength, uh, and you know you don't have that scenario where you're saying, "Yeah, we're so we're so strong on the wing that we can move a captain in." Uh, it it starts to end up feeling more like you're taking the finger out of one leak in the dam and plugging it into another one. And uh, yeah, it's there, there's there's no easy answers here, and we're always told how hard it is to be an NHL GM. Uh, and my answer to that is always, yeah, it is hard. There's only 31 of these jobs. Uh, it it should be hard. Go out there and earn your money. And uh, Kyle Dubas is, is going to earn his money over the next little while because he's got his work cut out for him. Well, Sean, this has been awesome. Can you come back next week? Yeah. Yeah. When <laughs> I will, uh, when after they lose three more games and I come back and I just dump all over everyone, I just spent the last half hour uh, <laughs> praising. I'll just completely change my mind. And uh, I think that's how this, this works. So yeah, I'm in. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Everybody obviously can read your work at the athletic, amazing stuff. And on Twitter, you and James are probably top five Twitter personalities in, in hockey. I, Who's I would ask you to rank us, but apparently that's a touchy subject in Toronto these mm-hmm. days. So I won't. you I can I tell you what, rank us secretly James and I won't that, tell so. anyone. <laughs> Well, thanks, but, Sean. Yeah. We appreciate check, it. Check my stuff out, and can I can thanks, I work DGB. in a quick plug for the book too? Uh, while I'm here, uh, the, yeah, the Down Goes Brown History of the NHL. Check it out. It's it's out in paperback now. So if you're like me and you still have not done most of your Christmas shopping, and you got some hockey fans and or history nerds on your list, uh, that's uh, that's out there. Uh, consider picking up a copy for uh, for them. And if you want to read Sean's work, subscribe for forty percent off at theathletic.com/leafreport although you probably do already. So buy a gift subscription for Christmas to a friend or family member and spread the word. Right on. Thanks, Sean. Thanks, guys. Thanks, DGB. Now we end awkwardly. You're still here, James. <laughs> you want to play? Yeah, you want to play it out, Jonas? Yeah, actually, I just wanted to comment on one thing. I thought, like, it's interesting, like, when you, you try to conceive of things that they could do, you obviously don't want to make a panic type thing like like sean was mentioning there you want to I you do. should you think they should panic i like the image of the panic button like, like that they, they just have it in the office it's under a glass case and they're like debating whether they should push it we no? should have that button on the podcast and it makes a noise that's a great idea but the only <laughs> thing i was going to say is is maybe you revisit like i made that list of defensemen that they could go after for their top pair in the summer I don't know. Maybe you revisit a Travis Hamanick yeah. or even a TJ Brody, and like that's not going to cost you. Obviously, like one of your top pieces. I don't know what it costs you, but maybe that's the kind of thing they eventually have to revisit. Well, and a team like Calgary might fall out of the race and say, you know what, we're gonna like like those yeah. guys are pending UFA. Maybe we're just gonna move one of those guys out and retool a little bit. And you know, I mean. I'm saying Calgary's struggling. They actually have a better record than the Leafs do right now. But, but you know, that's the kind of thing that you'll have a better idea of later in the season that you could look at doing. All right. Well, so you're going to be on the road next week. You're going through Western Canada. So we'll connect when you're in some city, either Edmonton or Calgary, I think. 
Yeah, probably Calgary. Yep. Yep. So we'll uh we'll do this all again on Wednesday or Thursday next week. Okay, well, and as James said, go to the leaf or theathletic.com slash leaf report. 40% off an athletic subscription. Tons of stuff. Down goes Brown, James, Bourne, basketball, hockey, football, baseball. There's all kinds of everything on there. All right, so James, have a good trip, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye, Jonas. Peace. Peace.